Dear Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to be a part of your church. Lord, we know that the church can be anywhere at any time because it's not a building, it's people. People who are watching right now from home. People who are watching in Afghanistan. People who are watching in other states. People who are watching in Belize. People who are here in this room. Lord, we want to be used by you to make an impact. We want to be used by you to make a difference in the life of somebody else. And Lord, we cannot sit back any longer. We have to advance. We have to go against the very gates of hell. So Lord, if we've been apathetic in any way, if there's something you've revealed to us that you want us to be about, something that you want us to do, something that you want us to give up, something that you want us to start doing, God, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would so speak to us that we would know exactly the next step that you would have us to take so that we could advance your kingdom, so we could be the church and not just ever be satisfied with just attending one. Lord, as we open up your word and we study it, I pray, God, that you will impact us. Lord, that we'll have some aha moments. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear your truth. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's Christmas time, friends, and that means it's time to put together your Christmas playlist. You probably have that. My wife has a Christmas playlist. She plays it over and over and over again. I hate Christmas music, okay, because my wife has killed Christmas music for me. But some of you have not burned out like I have, and you're putting your Christmas playlist together. Don't forget... That sagebrush music, all you got to do where you get your music is just search sagebrush music. We have a couple of Christmas albums that are out there. Make sure you add that to your playlist and let us come along with you and bring the joy of Jesus coming to this earth uh, with you wherever you go. So make sure that you take advantage of that. All right, let's start off in the message today. Have you ever been in one of those moments where everything is just clicking on all cylinders. I mean, it just can't get any better than it is. Your marriage is close, deep, intimate. Your kids are growing and they're doing very well. They love Jesus so very, very much. Things at the job are going great as well. My goodness, you got that corner office now. You got that promotion. You got that raise. You got that title that you were so longing to have. And your relationship relationship with God is so close and so personal. It's like everything is working out just the way that you hoped that it would. Like if you're a single person, that guy asks you out, right? Or that girl says yes to your request, and you're like, I am on fire right now. You understand what I'm talking about? Or you're going to move. You want to move. And, and, and so you're, you sell your house for asking price, which is unheard of right now in the market. And then you turn around and the house that you want to buy goes down $50,000. I mean, it's just clicking on all cylinders. But all of a sudden, you start to feel a restlessness. Like maybe there's something else that God wants you to be a part of. There's something else that God wants you to do. It's like this chapter of your life is coming to a close and a new chapter of your life is opening up and you know that if you don't go for it, that, that you'll be miserable. You'll regret it for the rest of your life. For the past 23 years, I have had the privilege of being your pastor. And I have loved every single second of it. It has been a tremendous adventure, and my marriage is close and intimate. My kids are doing really well. My relationship with God is, is so close right now. 
And everything is kicking in the church right now. It's like we're coming back from the COVID period, right? We're going to come back stronger than we were before. And we're seeing people give their lives to Christ. We're, we're seeing people get baptized. We're seeing marriages get restored. But all of a sudden, there's this kind of a restlessness, you know. And you begin to think, is, is this chapter of my life coming to a close and is there a new chapter that God has for me? And, and you think to yourself, if I don't do what God wants me to do, then I'll be miserable for the rest of my life. I am so thankful I don't feel that restlessness today. Now, what? What? Some of you are like, I think he was going to resign. That's what I think was going to I think setting us up right there. And some of you are disappointed that I'm not resigning. And, and that's hurtful. I want you to know that. We'll just continue the journey together, all right? Stop hating on your brother. Now, why do I bring all that up? Because I just scared you to death, didn't I? I bring that up because that's where Philip was at. We've been going through the book of Acts, and everything in Philip's life is clicking on all cylinders. It just doesn't get any better than this. And then God begins to stir something within him, and he has to make a decision whether he's going to go for it or not. Now, let me give you a little background to Philip. We find his story in Acts chapter 6. This was a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember the disciples were trying to do everything in the church? They're running over here, and they're running over there, and they can't get it all done. They realize that they shouldn't even be trying to get it all done. And so they appoint seven men to help with the needs of the church. And we looked at one of those men last week. His name was Stephen. He was one of the first, he was the first Christian martyr, first person to die for the cause of Christ. Well, another one of these individuals was Philip. Now look how they describe these guys, Acts 6-3. They were known to be full of the Spirit, and they were full of wisdom. Well, after Stephen dies, guess what? Persecution breaks out against the church. And the church is scattered, which was honestly a good thing because now the message of Jesus Christ was going to be spread. So Philip is thinking, I've got to get outside of Jerusalem. I've got to go someplace else. And so Philip heads to Samaria. That's what the Bible says. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. Now, this is amazing to me that Philip would go to Samaria because no self-respecting Jew ever wanted anything to do with a low-life Samaritan. I mean, it's all throughout Scripture. Jewish people hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jewish people. The Jewish people saw Samaritans as half-breeds. They were Jewish, but they had intermarried with other religions, other cultures. And so they were half-breeds. They were the dogs. A self-respecting Jewish person wouldn't eat with a Samaritan. They wouldn't talk to a Samaritan. They wouldn't enter into a Samaritan's home. My goodness, when you were traveling and you came to the, the line of Samaria, you would walk around Samaria adding extra days to your journey because you wouldn't want to set foot in such an unholy place. Oh my goodness, racism and bigotry between these two groups of people, they were raised to hate each other. Jesus has an encounter with some Samaritans in Luke chapter 9. He's trying to go through Samaria, which was unheard of. Look at what happens here, verse 51. Jesus sent messengers on ahead who went into Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there didn't welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? 
But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. Now, James and John are known for their tempers. In fact, Jesus had a nickname for them. They were called the Sons of Thunder. Well, they don't appreciate how Jesus is being treated by these low-life, no-good Samaritans. So they come up with a logical conclusion. In their mind, a good Samaritan is a dead Samaritan. They're not worthy of the breath in their body. So they say, hey, Jesus, do you want to call down fire from heaven to consume them? And they think this is okay to ask. Do you understand? And I love the fact that Jesus rebuked them. Now, I wish the scripture revealed to us what Jesus said. But I think it was something like this. Are you guys never going to figure this out? Are you never going to understand that I came for everybody? And that it doesn't matter about the color of their skin, whether they be black or tan or white. That every single person matters to me and therefore they should matter to you as well. This was a problem for the disciples. Did you know that? Don't you find it interesting that Luke is one of the only one of the gospel writers who mentions anything about Samaritans? Luke is the only one who tells one of Jesus' most popular parables. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. You won't find it in Matthew's book. You won't find it in Mark's. You won't find it in John. In fact, if you read Matthew and Mark, you won't even find a mention of an encounter that Jesus had with a low-life Samaritan. If you read the Gospel of John, there's one story. One story, and it's not a very flattering story to the Samaritan people. It's the woman at the well. You remember that story, right? Jesus goes at noon, he's at this well, he meets this Samaritan woman, the disciples have gone off to get some food. We find out this woman's been married five times, currently living with somebody. This is not what you want to be the poster child for your people. Do you understand what I'm saying? And she's kind of lippy towards Jesus, isn't she? Luke mentions three different stories that Jesus has with encounters with Samaritans. Luke is the one who tells the parable of the good Samaritan. Why is it that Luke mentions Samaritans so often when the other disciples didn't? It's easy, friends. Luke wasn't Jewish. You know what I look forward to? I look forward to the day where there's no more racism. I look forward to going to heaven... And everybody's treated the same, and everybody's loved the same, and we don't treat people differently because they look differently or they act differently. We're all finally made new in Jesus Christ. We finally have the mind of Christ, and we finally have the love and the grace and the mercy that he always wanted us to have. I think Philip remembered Jesus' words. He said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, and look at this, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I think Philip took those words seriously my question to you is is are you because if you have hatred towards a brother the love of Christ does not exist in you that's what the scriptures say again and again and again so the Bible says in Acts 8 verse 5 that Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there verse 6 when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did. They all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many. And many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. 
So people are giving their lives to Jesus. Evil spirits are being cast aside. People are being healed. There's a revival taking place. It is blowing everybody's mind. I mean, Peter and John even come to check out to see what's going on because they can't believe that the Holy Spirit has been given to these low-life Samaritans as well. I mean, Philip is in the middle of just nothing but goodness here. And I'm thinking, he's thinking, I want to stay here forever. This is awesome. Then an angel of the Lord comes and messes everything up. You ever been in a situation where everything's going just the way you want it to go, and all of a sudden God gets on the scene and says, oh, we're going to move from here, we're going to go over here and do this. And it doesn't make any sense to you at all. There's lots of things in this world that don't make any sense to me. For example, why do banks charge non-sufficient funds fee on money they know you don't already have? You know what I mean? That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Let me give you another one. How do uh, do not walk on the grass signs get there? I'm thinking somebody had to walk on the grass, you know? Let me give you another one. If you... If you throw a cat out the window when you're driving, does the cat become kitty litter? <laughs> That's the best cat ever. <laughs> I think they become kitty litter. Here's another one. What was the best thing before sliced bread? Because I know what the best thing was since sliced bread, but what was it before? I want to know, you see. Let me give you one more. How do they get deer to cross at that yellow road sign? How do they pull that off? How do they know that's where the deer are going to be, you know? Are the deer looking for the sign? This is the place we cross right here. This is the sign that we've been looking for. Lots of things in this world that don't make any sense, do they? Let me give you a couple of things that don't make any sense to Christians. You ready for this? Tithe. And it gets quiet. Tithe, doesn't make any sense. Whenever I talk about giving 10% to the things of God, the kingdom of God, oh, people just, they just bristle. Oh, I can't, here we go again. Why, why do you get so mad about that? Is it because you're cheap? Some of you enjoyed that. Because you're a miser and everything is for yourself? See, some people look at me from time to time. They say, Todd, I don't even know why God asked for that. Why does God ask for that? Does God need my money? No. God's been getting along just fine without you. And he'll get along fine with you or without you. Why does he command us to tithe? Because he wants to be first in your life. You see, the problem for some of us is the almighty dollars first in your life. And not almighty God. And so God says, you test me in this and see if I don't floor open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing upon you that you don't have room enough for it. And yet we bristle at the idea of giving 10% back to the things of God and to the kingdom of God. And God says, listen, the reason I want you to do that, I want to be first in your finances. I want to be first in your relationships. I want to be first in your life. You see, it doesn't make any sense to some of us in this room or at home to, to give and, and fund the kingdom of God. You just drop a 20 in, right? That's what you do. You know what doesn't make any sense to me? Why you don't do it. 
I mean, don't you want God's power infused in your finances? When he says, test me in this and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing upon you that you don't have room enough for it, why wouldn't you want some of that? And when you think about it, he's not asking for that much in the first place, is he? I mean, just giving 10% away, not that big of a deal when you think about it. I mean, right here on the table, I've got 10 bowls of cereal. Does anybody want to sit down and eat all 10 bowls of cereal? Does it seem ridiculous that God says, hey, can I have a bowl of cereal? And can I use this bowl of cereal to meet the needs of somebody else? Do you really have, do you really have to have 10 bowls of cereal? I got 10 candy bars. Do you really need to sit down and eat 10 candy bars? Some of you look like you have, but that's, not, that's another point, you know. It's a joke. Is it that big a deal that he just wants one? You say, well, I earned these candy bars. These candy bars are mine. Who gave you the ability to earn it? Who gave you life? Who gave you talent? Who gave you that mind to earn those candy bars? And he says, hey, can I use this candy bar to help somebody else in need? Is it that big of a deal? Some of you are looking at me, you look kind of snooty. You're like, I don't eat sugary cereal. And I don't touch candy bars. Those are grass. I'm a health nut. So an apple <laughs> might be better for you, right? You ever sat down and ate 10 apples? If you did, you're going to have applesauce come out of you. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> that just came up. I don't even know where that happened right there. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. That went too far. Okay. I mean, is it that big of a deal to give God one apple? So this is what we do. Here you go, God. But I'm keeping all this for myself. But you can have this. Does that make any sense? And that's why you're miserable. You got so much stuff. You can't even fit all your stuff. You got extra places to store your stuff. And the message of Jesus Christ is stalling out, and you're the reason. You're the reason. And I don't know about you, I don't look forward to Judgment Day. <laughs> I got enough to deal with. But I'll be doggone if I stand before him unfaithful to giving him what he's commanded me to give to him. When I think of everything he's blessed me with and everything he's done for me, how can I not? How can I not fund the kingdom of God? Let me give you another one that'll make a lot of sense to people. Getting baptized. Woo! You start talking about getting baptized, that gets people scared. People don't have any problem giving their life over to Jesus Christ, but getting them in that tank, that's a whole other ball game right there, isn't it? I got a lot of people say, well, I was baptized as a baby, so I'm good. Okay, just, just help a brother out here. Can you share a verse of scripture where it says that we should baptize babies? Scour it from Genesis to Revelation, even look in maps. Go to the concordances. Go, just go as far as you can in the Bible. See if you can find anything there. You won't find it. Not one place in scripture where a baby is baptized. Why is that? Well, first off, a baby doesn't even know they're alive. You understand that, right? Not only that, a baby doesn't understand that Jesus died for them. 
A baby doesn't understand that they're a sinner in need of a savior. A baby has never repented of their sin. And did you know that every baptism in Scripture happens after the person asks Jesus in their life? And the person who wants to get baptized chooses that baptism for themselves? Isn't that kind of interesting? Now, some of you were baptized as a baby. That wasn't wrong. It wasn't evil. It was your parents' way of dedicating you to the Lord. They were praying for that day when you would have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you stand in that tank and you proclaim your love and devotion to Jesus, it is a fulfillment of the hope and the prayers that they prayed way back on that day when they baptized you. But that baptism is not in Scripture, friends. The only baptism in Scripture is when you make your own personal decision to follow Jesus Christ. Some of you are like, well, I don't really, I don't, I don't want to do that. I mean, I'm a follower of Jesus. So I'm just not going to do that. Let me ask you a question. Can you really call yourself a follower of Jesus if you won't follow him? I mean, does that make sense to anybody? The first act of obedience when you become a Christian is you are to proclaim your love and devotion to him by being baptized. Can you truly say you're a follower of Jesus when you can't even follow him into that body of water? We're baptizing Christmas Eve, all of our campuses. This is your opportunity to make things right. This is your opportunity to proclaim your love and your faith and your devotion in Jesus Christ. It's your decision. Not a decision that somebody else makes for you. It's you making your public proclamation of your faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says if you'll acknowledge him before men, he will acknowledge you before his Father in heaven. Super simple how to sign up. You just go to the Sagebrush app. You fill out the decision form. You say, I want to get baptized. We'll give you a call. We'll get you on text. We'll get your baptism all set up for you. Let me give you another one that doesn't make any sense to me. You ready for this one? A Christian who doesn't serve. That don't make any sense. A Christian who doesn't have a small group. Doesn't make any sense. Because <laughs> Jesus had a small group. Let me give you another one that doesn't make any sense. Weak is strong. Isn't that something? The more you confess your weakness, the more the Holy Spirit's power strengthens you. Because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And it makes no sense at all. I'll give you another one. First is last. Maybe Ricky Bobby was right. Actually, Jesus is the one who said that, wasn't he? If you ain't first, you're last. That Jesus said, first it will be last, and the last will be first. Jesus says the greatest title you could ever give yourself is the title of a servant. See a need, and then meet a need. I know some of you at home, some of you listening right here, you've never given your life over to Jesus Christ, and you're looking at me like these things don't make any sense. You try them out. You try them out this next week. And see if these things don't bring more fulfillment in your life than you've ever had before. Well, guess what? Philip's having the time of his life. Everything's cooking with kerosene there in Samaria. And all of a sudden, an angel comes and says, no, you got to head out. you got to go out to the middle of the desert. So now Philip has to decide, is he going to go and be obedient, even though it doesn't make any sense? Or is he going to stay behind? I love this poem. One night a man had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there were seen. The footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they're too big for feet. 
My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow. The walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired, I got fed up, and there I dropped you on your rump. Because in life there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb, when one must rise and take a stand or leave their rump prints in the sand. What are you leaving? Footprints or rump prints? What's he revealed to you? What do you need to be about? What do you need to do? What do you need to let go? Will you do it? Will you follow him or will you just say you're going to follow him? I love what Philip does. This is what the passage says. It says, so he started out. (laughs) That's the defining moment of your life right there. You just start out. That's what followers of Jesus do. They start out one foot after the other. The Bible says he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip ends up in the middle of the desert, and there's nobody around except this chariot that's coming by, and there's an Ethiopian eunuch that's there. And the Ethiopian eunuch, a eunuch is somebody who works for the king or works for the queen, and and they've been castrated to make sure nothing funny goes on with the king or the queen. Let's just move on in the story. And so Philip is led by the Spirit of God, and the the Spirit of God says, I want you to go over to the chariot. Now, you want to outrun ordinary? Here's four steps to doing it. You ready? Number one, allow yourself to get close to someone who isn't a Christian, because that's what Philip does here. Here's what's a, a shame. The longer you're a Christian, the more you have a tendency to just hang around with Christians. And you're no longer the salt of the earth. You're no longer the light of the world. Let's see if it's happened to you. Let's do a little test. In your mind, come up with the names of five people who are far from God. Who are in your sphere of influence that you could reach for Jesus Christ. You got them in your head? Okay, you don't get to count them unless you've been praying for their salvation. You've been praying for them? You've been asking for opportunities from God to put you in places and positions to share Jesus with them or at the very least to invite them to church? And my goodness, it's so easy to invite someone, isn't it? You just use the Sagebrush app. Right now, the Christmas Eve services are live. You click on the banner at the very top. You just go right on through that. It tells you how to share that with somebody else. You can send it as a text. You can send it as an email. You can post it on your Twitter. You can put it on Facebook. You can put it on Instagram. Some of us, we won't even do that. Don't tell me you've got a lot of lost people around you that you really care about their salvation if you haven't been praying for them. And I mean praying for them every day. Every time you're near them, God, give me an opportunity. Give me an opening. God, put me near people who are far from you so I can be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. That's what Philip does. He gets close to someone who isn't a Christian. And then look at this. He listens to what the person had to say. He had a listening ear. You don't go in to someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus and just say, hey, can I tell you how you can have Jesus in your life? Don't start there, you see. Just talk to the person. Be normal. Would you just be normal with them? You get so nervous about this. Just talk to them like you, because they're your friend, aren't they? They're your family member. And listen to them. Listen to their hurts. 
listen to their frustrations, listen to the things that they're going through. You know what I've always been amazed in? Is if you'll just listen, people will open themselves up and share with you stuff in their life. And you can help them by listening to them. Then the third thing he did is he asked a great question. He said, do you understand what you're reading? Because the Ethiopian eunuchs just come from Jerusalem. He's at the temple trying to figure out the one true living God. He's coming back with the scroll of Isaiah. He's reading a passage. It makes no sense to him at all. So Philip just asked a great question. Hey, man, do you understand what you're reading? If you want to have spiritual conversations with people, it's not as difficult as you think. It's one great question away. You, you know one of the ones I use all the time? I'll say, hey, man, the other day, did you see on, on the news or did you see on the feed over here about that person? That, that's tragic right there. That, that person died. That was awful. Did you read about that? Oh, yeah, I saw that. That was bad. Hey, let me ask you something. What do you think happens to a person after they die? And here's what I found to be true. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody thinks they know what happens to a person after that. And if you'll listen to what they have to say, guess what? Then they'll listen to you. So I'll listen to what they have to say. I say, that's, that's very, very interesting. You know what I believe? I believe they've given your life over to Jesus Christ. You've repented of your sin and you trust in Jesus and him alone for your eternal salvation. You go to heaven. And if you don't, you go to hell. What do you think? Do you believe that? See how easy it is to bring it up? I'll give you another one. Somebody's walking around. They say, I'm so bored. I'm so bored. I always ask the question, or they, they start griping, start griping about their job or their family or whatever. Oh. I say, let me ask you a question. Do you think there's more to life than this? Do you think there's meaning? Do you think there's purpose in life? It's not that hard to get a spiritual conversation going because they'll share with me what they think. And I'll say, well, let me tell you what I think. I don't think there's any purpose or meaning for a person's life away from Jesus Christ. I think we're made by God, for God, to have a relationship with God. What do you think about that? You see how easy this is? So what's he do? He asks a good question, and then he shared what he, shared what he knew. The Ethiopian eunuch's like, I don't have a clue what I'm reading. Can you help me with this? And then Philip brought the goods, didn't he? Maybe the reason we don't ask the question is because we know we're ill-equipped to bring the goods. Here's your homework assignment if you choose to accept it. You ready? I want you to work on your testimony. And again, if you go to the app under the resource page, you're going to find the, the difference one life can make. You can click on that, and there's a little area where you can write out your testimony. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home, and I want you to practice it. I want you to practice it with your spouse, and I want you to practice it with your kids. You're going to eat at some point in time. The next time you're sitting around the table, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go around the circle and everybody just share how they gave their lives to Jesus Christ. You know what blows me away? There are husbands and wives who do not know the story of their spouse on how they gave their life to Jesus Christ because they've never shared it with the other person. There are children growing up in quote-unquote Christian homes. And yet if I pulled that child aside and I say, tell me how your dad gave his life over to Jesus Christ, they don't have a clue because dad hasn't even shared it with his own flesh and blood. Share it with your kids. Share the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Practice your story again and again and again. There's a lot of things that people can debate about. They can't debate what Jesus has done in your life. They cannot debate your personal experience. And here's what's so exciting about following Jesus. You ready for this? Every day can be an adventure. Because I think every day God sets up these things called divine appointments. 
See, you think that the reason that you bought that new house in that new neighborhood was because you could get that third car garage so you could put more stuff in that third car garage, right? That's what you thought. But God had a different thought. He strategically put you in that place, in that house, in that neighborhood, because just two doors down, there's someone who needs a friend. There's someone who needs to find Jesus through you. You're going to a restaurant. You think, oh, I was going for some Italian. Italian, that's a good time right there. Maybe you go out for some Mexican. Chimichanga, can't go wrong with a chimichanga. Who doesn't love a chimichanga? Fried chimichanga, that's a good time right there. Can you tell I'm hungry right now? Can you tell? The waiter or the waitress comes to your table. And they take your order and you begin to eat whatever appetizer you have. And you say, hey man, before we eat, let's pray. And your waiter or waitress notices it. There you are praying in a public place. And they kind of watch how your family's a little bit different. They kind of listen from a distance on how your conversation is different from other conversations they've heard for other people that they've waited on their tables. And they see a difference that Christ has made. And you make an impression. You plant a seed. You never know. They might come up to you and say, hey, it looks like you guys are really religious people. What's, what's the deal here? And then you say, well, we go to Sagebrush. And we have a relationship with Jesus. And he would love for you to come and be a part of our church family. You see, you think you're just going out to eat, but God has a divine appointment. Can I talk to all my muscle heads for just a second? You go to the gym, you put your earbuds in, you crank it up as loud as you can. You're going to pump some iron. I've seen you. It's scary. What if you took an earbud out? What if as you're walking into the gym this next week, you said, I'm here for you, Lord. The workout is secondary. How can it be your hands? How can it be your feet? How can I help somebody else along the way? So here's the question. Will you show up? And when the conversation starts, will you listen? Will you ask a strategic question? And then when that moment comes, when you're in a spiritual conversation, will you please get ready to bring the goods? There really is a heaven, and there really is a hell, and people really are going to one place or the other, and we're supposed to plunder hell and populate heaven. We're supposed to kick down the very gates of hell. And that's what Philip did, and that's what we should be doing too. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are the church, and the church is to be triumphant. The church is supposed to share the message of Jesus with everyone. We have been silent for too long. We have put these things on the back burner. My goodness, Lord, it's convicting to think that we don't even pray for those that we know in our own lives to have a relationship with you. This all has to end now. Lord, we have a wonderful opportunity coming up with Christmas Eve. Please don't let us squander another one. Help us, God, to use the app, to use our mouths, to use our ears, to be Jesus to somebody else because we honestly believe in eternal realities. Help us to be obedient to you, whether that's tithing, whether that's getting baptized, whether that's laying our burdens down before you so we could be strong in an area where we've always been weak. 
God, help us to follow you no matter what, even when it doesn't make sense. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.